Hello out there and welcome to the GameCockScoop.com podcast, the official podcast of GameCockScoop.com. I'm Caleb and I'm joined by Alan here. And yeah, sorry if you any of you saw the first one click up and then you, you clicked on it. Um, this is this is it's happening now. Uh, I just, you know, user error there for a second. Um, so we've had quite a crazy week, I feel like, in uh, Gamecock Athletics since we talked last week about Nicholas Harbor and um, all the drama surrounding that signing, which was actually, you know, uh, really fun. Uh, probably the biggest recruiting battle that I've been a part of since, you know, taking over over here. Um, but let's talk a little bit about the 2024 class and what that looks like going forward. Um, so South Carolina already has um, five, four, commits in the 2024 class so you and they're all four stars so you have dante reno um cam pringle michael smith uh wendell gregory and then the most recent was this past week in mazio bennett um now we have heard a little bit from uh some of rivals national that we'll see if mazio bennett c- continues to hold that four or or maybe as a high three whatever either way off to a great start um and (laughs) they are now ranked number seven if i'm not mistaken in the 2024 rankings which you know there's still a long way to go that doesn't necessarily mean that that's where they're going to end up but if you're going to end up in uh that top 10 or whatever you want to uh whatever metric you want to go by um you have to start strong and they're certainly starting strong uh, I'll have a full weekly recruiting wrap up here, probably Friday. Um, actually, the number five in the rivals recruiting rankings right now, um, after Mazio Bennett committed la- last week. So uh, the only P- the only SEC teams ahead of them right now are LSU and Georgia. So you're in pretty uh, good shape at the moment if you can kind of hold on to that that momentum. Um, like I said, weekly recruiting wrap-up this week will focus a lot on what the 2024 hot board is looking like and some of the timelines of that. But a couple of names for those of you that just listen to the podcast and uh, don't yet subscribe to GameCockScoop.com, although you definitely should. Um, Blake Franks, O-Lyman out of Greenville High School, Mazio Bennett's teammate. Um, expecting him to make a decision between Clemson and South Carolina sometime this month, or at least that was kind of the timeline that he was aiming for last that I heard. Um, for a long time, that felt like a definite Clemson guy. Um, but over time, I've gotten more and more confident that at the very least it's 50-50. Um, you might even call it a little bit of a South Carolina lean at this point. We talked a little bit last week or two weeks ago about why that might be. Um, also, if you scroll GameCocksGroup.com back just a couple of days, um, Adam Friedman, who is uh, Rivals um, recruiting analyst, national recruiting analyst, um, did kind of a breakdown of South Carolina and Clemson and how they seem to be trending in different directions right now on the recruiting trail. Um, so you finally got the big um, win, got over the hump with South Carolina pulling off the upset versus Clemson in Death Valley. Uh on the football field this year. And then it seems like that momentum is continuing into uh, 20, the 2024-2025 classes, uh, especially in state. So South Carolina has an opportunity to land the top three 
guys in state for South Carolina um, with Mazio Bennett, Josiah Thompson, and Cam Pringle. Um, of course, they've already got two of those three, and then they I would say they lead pretty heavily for Josiah Thompson. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you're, you're locking down the state. Uh, you're already pulling some highly rated guys from out of state. Dante Reno, of course, in front of England. Um, Wendell Gregory from Georgia. He's one of the top five linebackers, top ten at the very least, linebackers in this uh, 2024 class. So really off to a good start. Um, I'm going to talk a lot more about some of the guys they're in with. Another person to look for or look ahead to maybe um, that they're going to have to go up against some of the top universities from around the country on is Edge Dylan Stewart. Right now he's rated as a four-star, but I mean, he's one of the top one or two edges in the country. Actually, um, Adam Friedman or Adam Gorney, sometimes I get them confused. You know, we got a couple uh, items covering recruiting okay. here. Um, just wrote about whether or not they think he's going to get his fifth star. And of course, a lot of that's going to depend on camp season and senior seasons and all those sorts of things. But I think he's got a good chance of ending up as a five-star guy as well. So um, not that I'm saying he def South Carolina is definitely going to land him, but I have a future cast in uh, for them to land him because it, I mean, he's from that DB area. Um, and it kind of just seems like things have been trending that way. But like I said, it's going to be a long process there. You're going to have to go up against the top of the top. Um, when I put in that future cast, it's kind of like when I put in the future cast for Nicholas Harbor in August, where it's like, I do think that they have the inside track, but you're going to have a process. Uh, to that, get that's in. another one that might go down to the signing day, which obviously is a full, almost a full year from now. Yeah. So, but yeah, I mean, it's kind of crazy that the 2024 class is already ranked what I say fifth? Fifth, sixth, yep. Fifth. Um, because when you look at the 2023 class at the same time, there was n there was no recruits uh, committed to South Carolina until March when Zabari Sandy did that last year. Um, so definitely off to a much hotter start. Um, and you hope that that momentum continues to encourage other people to come. As Shane Beamer usually uh, tweets when he gets a uh, commit quickly after someone else is committed that great players want to play with great players or, or whatever it is that he says is something like that. Um, and that's true. I mean, recruiting momentum is a real thing. Um, other football notes are not, uh, well, one is not very positive. Uh, so we got some breaking news uh, over the weekend that three of the freshmen from that 2023 class we were just talking about, or I guess two freshmen, one. Yeah, Anthony Rose sophomore, was Yeah, um, have been suspended from the team. So that's uh, Edge, freshman, Montague Rames, um, DB, Cameron Upshaw, who's another freshman, and then rising sophomore, Anthony Rose, who saw some action uh, near the end of the season. Um, we can't share a ton about it, but uh, you can kind of look up some of those names in the public record right now and find out a good bit. Uh, so I encourage you to do that. And as far as just like speculation on the suspension, how long would it be, all those sorts of things. Um, let me preempt it by saying it's pure speculation, whatever. But my understanding of the situation right now is that Anthony Rose would probably have the hardest path back to the team or the hardest path for it to be a quick um, fix for him to get back to the team, but that the other two guys uh, might have a slightly easier path. 
Um, again, not going to speculate too much. Uh, it's their personal lives and legal system to, to work out. Um, and you guys can check out the public record on all We've that. We've got a story on the website too. If you scroll back to Friday when this first broke. Yep. Um, but yeah, obviously that's never a good thing to have guys on within your program getting in trouble. Um, hasn't really been much of a thing that we've seen. Uh, those are the, the, actually, those are the first arrests of the Shane Beamer era. Yeah. Um, but you know, anytime you're managing 85 young men, uh, sometimes those teenagers, uh, you know, make mistakes. Um, and you just gotta hope that, uh, everyone learned their lesson and can bounce back from this in a, in a positive way. Um, and yeah, I don't think that we're, we're certainly not to like the Mark Greek Georgia era right now. Where oh, we've, we've the forward. Steve Spurrier. I wish we could play them in week two every year. Cause they usually still have a few players yeah. suspended. Yeah, exactly. So we're not to, to a point where I think that there are a lot of institutional questions with all this or anything like that. Um, but you know, something to keep an eye on, something to keep track of. And we'll obviously update gamecocksgroup.com as soon as we know anything else about length of suspension or our path back for those guys. Um, mostly, most likely no, none of those guys were going to, well, maybe Anthony Rose could have worked his way into the two deep. Uh, and then Rames, of course, is an edge. So <laughs> with how thin that position is, maybe he was going to work his way into the two deep as well. Um, but we'll just have to, we'll have to see how that all, how that all plays out on a more positive football note, or I guess general athletics note. Um, you went to a, a big announcement about an announcement. Uh, that's kind of the way, that's kind of the way I put it when we were called yesterday. Yeah. It kind of felt like an announcement for an announcement. <laughs> yeah. So what, what are you able to, to share from what they shared with the media on that? All right. So yesterday, uh, the University of South Carolina announced they are putting out a RFI. That is a request for information about areas of land, mostly around williams Bryce Stadium. But there's a little bit of outside Colonial Life Arena, too. It totals over 900 acres of land. And they are calling developers, calling, I guess, like city planners, that kind of thing. People who have done this in other markets, other stadiums, other whatever. And they're trying to figure out, as they put it, uh, Ray Tanner used the term blank canvas with us on the record. He thinks this is a blank canvas. They have put out a call for what they think they can build, whether that's restaurants, hotels, more tailgating areas. I don't know how this is going to impact parking. Um, he talked about how they're trying to make some more upgrades inside the stadium to concessions, bathrooms, luxury suites, um, all that kind of thing. Um, it was a whole lot of, well, we're just trying to see what we can do, but we want to do something was kind of my takeaway. Um, and Ray Tanner did say that best case scenario, it would be 12 to 15 months before they could actually start building and moving dirt on this thing. Um, but yeah, you had an announcement about some kind of project coming up to the development outside williams Bryce stadium and colonial life arena. Yeah. And I, I don't want to speculate too much. I wasn't, uh, in the, the meeting obviously. Um, and I've heard a lot of different things from a lot of different people over the course of several months. This is something that's been kind of brewing yeah. uh, for a bit. Um, I do think that this is a really big deal. Um, I do think that it is greatly going to um, enhance the game day experience. And the clearest, if I'm just trying to give an example, the clearest vision that I have at least heard, but again, it sounds like it's still very much up in the air. So 
you know, if it doesn't end up exactly like this, don't quote me on it, um, is if you've anyone's ever been to like Foxborough Patriots place like that, where it's like shops and hotels and uh, game day vibes and whatever else. Um, it, it sounds like that that could be potentially in the cards here, but it, it sounds like that they're still just kind of looking around at what the options are. Um, and then we'll announce more later once they start to narrow that down. And he said, they said that they sent out that RFI yesterday. Um, not a lot of, not a lot of specifics on, you know, where that was going, what companies or businesses might be coming into Columbia to actually look at this piece of land. But they said it'd be about a four week process just to get the results of the RFI back for what they could actually do. And then they're going to go from there. So I would just say, sit tight y'all. I mean, it's going to be, like I said, at least a month before they know what they can do another year, at least according to them before they can actually start doing it. And then obviously construction, you guys know how that goes, but they did one important thing to mention is they said that it would not impact football season. They were, they're not going to be, you're not going to have a, I don't know if any of you guys watched games at Oregon state football last year, they're doing renovations there and they've got half their stadium, like tarped off trying to build in the middle of the season. That's not going to happen. They're not doing that. at Willie B. at least that's what they said they weren't going to do. It's going to be a phased out kind of development through the off seasons, but at least the idea, you know how construction goes, but the idea is this will not directly impact football Saturdays in the fall through what would probably be at least a season or two, maybe more of trying to actually build this. Yeah. And to me, it sounds like the idea is to stay ahead of the competition for game day experience. I mean, obviously they've done a lot of upgrades over the last decade with the the new screen and uh you know different the light show yeah. yeah yeah different enhancements oh yeah the light show this year um so they're just continuing to try to stay ahead of the game which is what you're gonna have to do um especially when it comes to recruiting when it comes to uh keeping people in the seats when they could just watch it at home or, or whatever so um i think it's a good move um i think it's a uh progressive like uh future looking getting getting ahead of the curve sort of move um and yeah we'll let you know as we are allowed to report more you're and, you're and probably more. talking about years plural before you can pull up to willie b on a saturday five hours before the game and have this whole district ready at your disposal if right. that's what that's what they want um but yeah it's there it's in the works they're trying to do something dot 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 <laughs> Yeah, and, and remind me exactly where all the land is because I know a lot of people were speculating the fairgrounds and stuff, but it's it's not the fairgrounds. It is, um, it is over nine hundred acres, and I believe the number was in the packet eight hundred and forty. And they put a video up, by the way, for those of you on the official South Carolina account. There's a video up right now with like the land kind of survey. They have it divided into kind of different zones of what they're thinking. Um, it's just an artist rendering. There's no. It's not a rendering of what it's going to look like, what the what they're trying to build. It's just this is the land we're using. So I would encourage you to go check that out on social media um, if you haven't yet. But it is land mostly outside Williams Bryce Stadium. Kind of some of those, some of the areas you guys might know is parking lots currently out to the grass. Some, I know some of it's on a floodplain that could be an issue. Um, and then there's a little bit of land outside Colonial Life Arena too, which we were kind of not given as much information about what that might look like or lead to. Cool. Very cool. Um, so yeah, something to kind of look ahead to, but not something that uh, you're going to get a ton of info or definitely not anything that you're going to see manifest physically for quite some time. 
Um, let before we go to men's basketball, I know we usually do men's basketball before women's basketball, but I mean, let's be honest, this is a pretty big week for women's basketball right now. Um, so the women's team goes into Hartford, Connecticut over the weekend, um, beats number five UConn, first time they've ever won in Hartford. Um, you know, pretty, pretty impressive game, started slow, uh, trailed for pretty much the entire first half until. Uh, right before halftime, they were able to tie it up and then led for pretty much the entire second half, uh, though uh, the final few minutes got a little bit hairy. Um, you were up there. Uh, tell me a little bit about the game day environment in UConn. You've seen Colonial Life Arena, who obviously shows up for the number one team, uh, the, what, 29 straight wins? That was number uh, 29 team. on Sunday. Yeah. Yep. Um, so how did how did you feel like that, that environment compared? That's a crazy environment. Um, it's it's weird because, you know, they do – I don't know how all the specifics work. They have their campus and stores, which is, I believe, like a 10,000-seat arena. And they have this kind of convention center I think there's a hockey team that plays their thing in Hartford that holds 16,000. And they kind of push the bigger games there, as my understanding of it, which normally you'd be like, oh, they take the big games off campus. That sucks. But I walked up and I saw buses of students who bust – it's only 45 minutes. Connecticut's small, but – Buses of students who came in from stores in the morning. Place was sold out, rocking. That was a very Raven Johnson said it post game. Don Staley said it post game. That was a very difficult environment for them to play in. That that place was jumping the whole time. Um, definitely the toughest road environment they've played in all year. Um, there was over fifteen thousand people, and it's just good to me. It's good tournament simulation because that's what you're going to have in March, what you're trying to do in April, ideally if you're South Carolina. Um, and you have to be able to play in those kinds of environments, and they're going to have another one Sunday with a sold-out 18,000 Colonial Life Arena expected for LSU. Yeah, at least this one will be... That'll uh, be in your favor. But that, that one will be at your back. Um, yeah, so kind of a kind of a weird game, but also I feel like it followed the script that... Um, did Steven do the preview, or did you do the preview? Steven did the preview, yep. Yeah, so Steven Anderson does the women's basketball previews usually, um, and he kind of said that Obviously, UConn can match up from a talent perspective in a way that very few teams in the country can, um, but they don't necessarily match up from a depth perspective, perspective, especially with the um, injuries that they've had this year. And I think we kind of saw that play out. They started strong, uh, got out to a big start, but then as South Carolina went to their bench um, and the, their bench outscored the um, opponent's bench again by like 70 points. 37 or to nothing. Yeah. They're up over, I have a stat in my latest, or one of my, I wrote three things this weekend, but one of them, there's a stat in there. They are over 600 points in the positive on bench points versus bench points this season, which is absurd in 23 games to be over 600 points positive. But no, and kind of what changed that game to me, and this is one of the things I wrote about on, you can still find it on GameCockScoop.com, is the Raven Johnson, Camilla Cardoso connection. That's something Dawn's talked about early in the year. She actually started Raven Johnson at the beginning of the year and dropped her to the bench in the third game because she wanted Raven and Camilla to be off the bench together playing at the same time. Um, they played together before college. Um, they have this connection, as she put it. Um, and Raven Johnson, career high in points, career high in assists, career high in minutes, pretty much career high in everything at UConn as your backup point guard who did play most of the game in fairness. And then Cardoso just, I mean, we know what she can do. She's six foot seven. She's been kind of the sixth woman most of the year, but that was another level of dominance in that game against a UConn team that really just couldn't handle the size inside. 
Yeah, that was, and, you know, it, there was a little bit of controversy, I guess, after the game, uh, because, in, in my opinion, and, and within the rules of the game, South Carolina out-physicaled them. Yes. Um, and Gino Oriama, well, he got t- a technical during that. The- was, I did want to bring that up, because that was one of the most, am I in outer space things I've seen covering a game. It's South Carolina is up six. There's a little less than three minutes to go. UConn is bringing the ball up the floor, trying to cut it to four or three. Look down for a second. Look back up. I see a water bottle on the court and the ref pointing right at Gino, making the tech motion. Um, I guess he spiked it. I didn't see that initially. I thought it was a throw. Either way, right in front of the referee in a game like that, there is no debate there. There is no controversy. If you throw something on the court, that is a tech, period. End up. Like, it's not even a question. And that ended up, um, South Carolina got two free throws and the ball, hit both free throws. Aaliyah Boston hits a jumper. That is a four-point swing in a game South Carolina won by four points. Um, it was pretty stupid by Gino. And he did he did admit that afterwards, but he also said a lot of other things about the officiating that have been in the news cycle now. What is this, day four since the game? Yeah, so um, I kind of saw the headline yesterday. I didn't see any of the post-game stuff, uh, to be honest. So I, I I was kind of confused at first. But um, apparently he basically said that um, it's not basketball. What's up? That was, was the exact playing. quote. Yep. Um, it's appalling what teams do to Lou Lopez Senegal is who he was talking about. Yes. So she had bruises or whatever. Um, and then, yeah, Don Staley – yesterday took um offense to that which you know defend your players i I tend to agree with her um and here i'll give you the direct direct quote she said um we're called something anytime that their team has success we're called something other than players that are locked in uh they play the right way and approach it the right way whether they win or lose we don't denounce anybody's play they're always uplifting the game of women's basketball and when we were getting our when we were getting our heads beat in by uconn for all those years i said nothing um, and I, it does kind of feel like because the, the, the worm has turned in this, um, series, which South Carolina lost seven straight before. Yeah. Wing, and they lost the all five, five in Hartford before, uh, Sunday. Um, that, yeah, it's, it, it, it does feel like a little bit of like a sore loser sort of thing with Gino, um, after they've lost quite a lot lately. Lost the national Carolina. title game lost yeah. Sunday. Yeah. Um, but also, like we were talking a little bit before, it's just like, I, you know, I don't want to like sit here and talk for, for a long time about race or anything. And this is a sports podcast. Um, but yeah, it's relevant. There was some connotation. It felt like there were some connotations that weren't. I don't great. think there's any question. Um, there's definitely, I'll say this sitting in the room, listening to it, Gino knew what he was saying. I'll put it that way. He knew what he was doing. He knew what he was saying without saying. But also when you say that, people know what you mean. Uh, Don definitely knew what he meant to say. I don't think there's any question about that. Uh, and Don did say today that you know she's not expecting to hear from Gino about it or whatever. Um, it, you, know, you know what he meant to say is kind of my thing. Um, and you know what the implication was. And yeah, it does. It does come out the wrong way. And it also hurt his own team. Because they that was a four point tech and the game his team lost by four. You don't know if it was going to play out the same way after that, if the foul situation or whatever. But his team did lose that game by four, and he lost his temper over something that maybe he shouldn't have lost his temper over in that moment. 
Well, in South Carolina got their own technical soon thereafter. That's true. So Cardoso it, got, got teed up. That was two yeah. points. So, okay, so maybe did, not. But It did almost uh, balance out, I guess, or whatever. But if, to me, if, if like watching the replay, it felt like there was a lot of fouls called, but it felt like it was called pretty equally. It was. It was. I don't have the number in front of me. But I know South Carolina had its highest number of fouls called on it in any game this year, which some of that is, yeah, you don't need to foul Auburn. You don't need to foul Vanderbilt 25 times. You can way out talent them. Like I do understand that the tougher your competition is, the more you are going to foul just because that's how basketball goes. Um, but it's not like this was a completely lopsided game. Gino made a comment post game about how, yeah, we shot a lot of free throws, but still not as many as them. Um, I didn't, yeah, I, I mean, the one play, the one play I do, there's only one play I think UConn probably had a gripe with. And that's the Zaya Cook handoff on the base, or not the baseline, on the sideline where she is inbounding the ball late in the last minute and she hands it off to another South Carolina player while she's still standing out of bounds. That should have been a turnover. Um, but that's not what Gino's talking about. He's talking about physical stuff, beats up beating up in the paint. Um, if he had a gripe, it should have been that, honestly. Um, like if you're going to complain about the officiating, complain about the one they actually missed, I think, in South Carolina's favor. But there were plenty of calls that went both ways. And I do I do feel like the better team won that game, especially because you look at South Carolina goes from down eleven to up twelve. So for a large chunk of that game, they won it by twenty-three points, that kind of margin. Um and yeah, I do think the better team won, but I think a tournament rematch, maybe in the final four would be interesting, especially if UConn got healthy, although it still picks South Carolina to win it. Yeah. I mean, from a national narrative standpoint, this like uh, back and forth between Gino and Don just adds more fuel to the fire. Um, and I would love to see it. Yeah. I would love to see it again. Um, and I think it is good for the women's game in general to have, um, these sorts of rivalries. Um, I, I know that I got bored watching UConn win every single year uh, growing up from a national perspective or whatever. Anytime it came on, I'm like, okay, cool. They're a dynasty. They're dominant. But um, it's more fun when you have two, maybe three with LSU coming to town. Indiana, of course, jumped them too. Um, when you have a couple of teams that uh, you feel like could, could still win it. Yeah, no, and I think LSU's kind of – look, they do play Auburn tomorrow. Do have to – I don't want to say get it out of the way because you still have to win that game, but that's a team they beat by 52 points a month ago. It's on the road this time, but we're going to assume they take care of Auburn tomorrow night, which would mean Sunday afternoon, the only two undefeated teams left in the country, Columbia, Columbia, South Carolina. Uh, it's Super Bowl Sunday, and that's going to feel like a Super Bowl. No, and we uh, we talked earlier in the season that we didn't think that this team was going to go undefeated, but if they beat LSU, you just it's hard not to. to. You, you start really to start throwing that out. Yeah, yeah. yeah, you start to realistically think about that possibility. Of course, you still have to make it through the tournament stuff, but um, you know, the the out of conference schedule they went to Stanford, went to UConn, to uh, Maryland, of, also a top ten team. Came out of all of those environments with wins, even though looked sloppy at times, didn't necessarily look dominant, dominant. Um, all of those should come in handy tournament time. You've already been in some of those really tough environments. Yeah, and it's that's kind of where I kind of lean in towards Sunday, just starting to look at LSU. It's You're playing matchups a lot. I do think it's ironic that Gino is talking about the officiating so much because I do think this game on Sunday, you have the two best post players in the country probably right now with Olia Boston and Angel Reese at LSU. They're going to be banging and crashing all game. 
It was, I believe it was Mike Neighbors, the Arkansas coach, who said about that game, the most important thing is to get a good officiating crew in because both those players could foul out if the officiating just is calling everything. Just this is going to be a – we're going to have a ton of preview content ready for a huge game on Sunday. But this is going to be a physical game. This is going to look a lot like it did against UConn both ways. You're going to see a lot of banging, a lot of crashing, a lot of diving for loose balls. And if the officials let it get out of hand, I wouldn't rule out technical fouls. You've got – a pretty healthy dislike between Don Staley and Kim Mulkey, too. I don't think I'm speaking out of turn when I say that. Um, obviously, I don't think there's a lot of love between these two teams either, just kind of as SEC rivals. They played a pretty close game in Baton Rouge last year that South Carolina won by, I think, six. Um, it's going to be a battle. Uh, I can't wait. We're, like I said, we're going to have a lot of content on LSU Sunday, but that is your regular season title. That is your one seed in the conference tournament. That's probably your number one overall seed in the NCAA tournament. That is sending a message for maybe a rematch in the NCAA tournament or the SEC tournament. It is as big of a regular season game as you're going to find anywhere uh, Sunday afternoon. Can't wait. Yeah, and when you're looking at LSU's schedule, they definitely haven't been tested to the degree that that South Carolina has. But um, they only had a three-point win over Arkansas, which Arkansas is pretty good. They only have four losses, but by comparison – yeah, South, South Carolina, Carolina won the game by a lot, 46, by 40, I think. Yeah, yeah, 92 to 46. Yeah. Um, they had a pretty close win versus Tennessee. Tennessee's not bad, 16 and 8. Uh, they beat them by eight points. Yeah. Um, and then Georgia was the main one for me where I was kind of looking at LSU like, uh, that game went to overtime against the Georgia team. That's not bad. I mean, there might be a tournament team, but a team South Carolina went on the road and beat by 16, I believe, or 17 when they went to Athens. Yeah, and really, like lately, it seems like they've there's been a, like a little bit of hangover hangover for them or something. I don't know what's going on with them. Maybe they're maybe they've been prepping for this game for two weeks. But um, you got a eight point win against Tennessee January thirtieth. You got a five point win against Georgia February second, and a six point win against Texas A and M February fifth, leading into this game. And yeah, Texas A and M is like a six win team right now. Georgia's not that good. Last, yeah. yeah. Um, so it does seem like they're not playing their best basketball at the moment, um, which is maybe why Indiana uh, jumped them in the, the polls there. Um, but they're still a very dangerous team, um, nothing to be taken lightly. But if I had to put in a pick right now, just based on the way the teams are trending and the fact that it's a home, I probably, you know, pretty clearly I'm picking South Carolina right now. Yeah, and I'm very curious just kind of, from what I've watched of LSU this year a few times, they've kind of, I don't want to say, they've won every game. I shouldn't say get rattled, but they can, they do have a tendency when things aren't going well to kind of not turn it around quick. I mean, that A&M game on Sunday, that's an A&M team that's only won one conference game all year. Kind of, they were never trailing, but it was close all throughout. And they were never really able to turn that around and kind of turn it into a blowout. I think this is a depth game, absolutely, for South Carolina. This is a game we're having, I mean, they only played eight or I think nine at UConn, but having 10, 11, 12, 13 players available is really important. And there's uh, people listening. Somebody all might be going to the game, the Colonial Life Arena factor. I mean, I know LSU. The one thing is all those games you mentioned for LSU, except A&M, they were at home. They played Tennessee at home. They played Georgia at home. They played Arkansas at home. They have not been in a road game like this with 18,000 people. Um I do think that might help South Carolina get off to a quicker start. You just feed off the energy quick. Um, and then once you get off to a quick start with the bench coming in, the depth coming in, the Johnson Cardoso thing we just talked about, 
I don't want to say South Carolina is going to blow them out because I don't think that's going to happen. But I think there is a path where South Carolina starts fast where this could get out of hand and LSU is going to have to rein it in pretty quick. No, because I mean, I remember as we were leading into the Arkansas game, we were hyping that one up a little bit as a um, potential close game. And it just never the, the game never really got on track. So um, if if that were to happen and, and they get going in the first quarter and get the crowd behind them, I could I could see that happening for sure. Um, even if these teams are closer matched than whatever the final score ends up being. Um, anything else on women's basketball before we move on? Oh, that's about what I had. Um, just keep it on the website. We got a lot of stuff coming um, with the Auburn game tomorrow, but obviously a lot of it geared around LSU Sunday. And I've got three stories up there, two free, one for subscribers from Hartford. So keep check that out. And I'll have some more subscriber stuff later in the week. Women's basketball. You should keep your eyes peeled on that. And if you're not subscribed, come hang out. We've got live threads every game. You can come talk to me. You can ask me questions. You can get information. Um, and plus you get all the other sports content too. Yeah, totally. Um, we had a live thread last night. Uh, actually there was someone hanging out. I was kind of surprised because it was a 9 PM men's game. For, for the men's game, um, which, uh, you know, the men are, are having a rough season as we kind of anticipated. Um, and that was a, a pretty late start for a game that they were not expected to win on the road at Missouri, who is likely a, uh, tournament team, but I tell you what, over the last week, um, they've South Carolina has gone toe to toe with Arkansas and Missouri. Um, both, I think potentially tournament teams, middle mm-hmm. of the pack sec teams. Um, and in some ways, I think this has been a good week for Lamont Paris, um, in his first year when you're looking for, uh, signs of growth and signs mm-hmm. of, uh, what the future under him looks like. Um, and I think that that's in a, in a couple of different ways, right? So uh, obviously the on-the-court effort uh, was pretty good against Arkansas and against uh, Missouri. I think Hayden Brown uh, should get some credit uh, yes. for the fact that it seems like he's taken some coaching um, and not having as many stupid fouls. Uh, for the first time since – December 30th last night was his third straight game without fouling out, um, which is kind of crazy, but I mean, yeah, he's been effective though. Like we've said it a lot, but a active on the court for 30 minutes a night, Hayden Brown changes things a lot for this team. You saw it again last night, the way he was cutting to the basket and kind of making things happen. I'd say offensively, especially. Um, and another thing that I think maybe goes in Lamont Paris's uh, positive column uh, is him sort of attempting to uh, rein in or um, coach and chastise his superstar uh, because after the Arkansas game, um, Gigi Jackson apparently went on his Instagram live uh, and also retweeted some things that were questioning the decision to not get him with the ball in his hands in the final possession in a game that they lost by two Two. or had a chance to tie. Um, And, Gigi Jackson, to his credit, uh, 18-year-old kid, you know, it, when I was 18 years old, I didn't necessarily have the strongest handle on my emotions, especially after a loss or something like that, especially for a kid that probably before he got here hasn't lost that often. Um, to his credit, uh, did put out an apology the next day on Twitter um, and kind of said the same thing, that he got caught up in the emotional response 
that whole thing. Um, but yeah, so he started off the game last night against Missouri on the bench. Uh, didn't come out for the first seven minutes. Um, and I think that that was somewhat by necessity because someone, I can't even remember who it was now, got in a little bit of foul trouble early, got two early fouls and the bench is not very deep. Um, but anyway, so I, I thought he did a good job handling it. It seemed like Gigi Jackson responded, had a pretty great game last night. Uh, 22 points total, I think. Um, very high percentage shooting, which the whole team had a high percentage shooting for most of that game. Um, you posted a really good stat. I can't remember the exact um, number now, but basically they were over 70% shooting was, for 20 minutes. Yeah, it was from the last 10 minutes of the first half and the first 10 minutes of the second half. They were at 76%. I think it was 16 out of 21 shooting, which, and I think I texted you this at some point during the game. If they don't turn the ball over... I think it was 10 times in the first half. They probably win the game last night. Um, they were pretty much getting whatever they wanted on offense. They're moving the ball well. I thought Michi Johnson played well again last night, at least with his distribution and hit a couple deep threes too. Um, the turnovers were the reason they lost that game, um, which in some ways is frustrating that you wasted a really good shooting night, but it's also something you kind of look at and going, okay, other things might be starting to come around. Yeah, so I wrote the uh, the post game last night. South Carolina had a higher field goal percentage, higher three point percentage, more rebounds, and more points in the paint. Actually, I might have gotten the higher field goal percentage wrong because they went uh, two of or three of fourteen down the stretch, and it might have actually dropped them below uh, Missouri's. I had already pre written that part. I actually need to fix that. But anyway. Um, but South Carolina had 14 turnovers that led directly to 18 Missouri points. And uh, that's pretty much the difference in that game. I think Missouri had four or five turnovers that led to four points. Yeah. Um, so that's a 14-point spread just based on easy baskets from turnovers. Yeah, and that's kind of where the game was. And unfortunately for South Carolina, that's we kind of said it a few times this year about this team's not going to have a ton of opportunities to get wins, especially on the road. Kind of let one get away at Vanderbilt. Lost that game in overtime after leading most of it. Let it get away at Georgia, leading by twelve. I don't want to say they let one get away last night because I think the better the better the better team definitely did win that game. But that was at least an opportunity. And there's seven games left in the regular season now to try to get some more SEC wins. The good news for the South Carolina, if you look at the schedule, it's going to soften up here a little bit. They're going to get an Ole Miss team who has only got two wins in the league. This Saturday, they're going to get Vanderbilt, who they took to overtime on the road, coming back to CLA on Tuesday. And then next Saturday, they're going to LSU, who is also only has one win in the conference right now. So these next three games, there's a chance to pick up a win, I think, in the next three. The, the key, and this is going to be um, you know, so, something in, indicative of how well Lamont, Lamont Paris is coaching up the team and how much of the belief of the locker room he still has. Um, if they can play as well they, as they played the last two games, they will definitely win one, two. They could win all three of those games if they played as well as they played the last two games. Um, the question is, do they play down to their opponent um, right. or do they continue to elevate that the way that they have? And I think a, lo a lot of factors uh, come to play in, in the way that they've played the last couple games, but a big part of it is, Hayden Brown staying on the floor for the entire game. Um, I think in general, uh, the team has done a lot better job of attacking the basket. Um, Gigi Jackson is getting more and more confident with his shot. And then a big, uh, maybe overlooked thing here is Josh Gray has yes. come on. Big Literally time. big. 
Yeah, literally big. Um, before last night, I think he was averaging 11 uh, rebounds a game over the last four games. And I think he had another seven last night. He had 14 um, in two games in a row last week, um, Mississippi State and Arkansas. Yeah. So, I mean, he's if he can continue to play that aggressively, um, be a force under the basket, um, and either Hayden Brown, Gigi Jackson, like a combo of Hayden Brown, Gigi Jackson, uh, Chico Carter, and uh, Michi Johnson can knock down some shots, then you there's no reason that you don't get at least two of three of those games you mentioned. Yeah, and you know, there's that's kind of where I'm thinking too. I think most of us before the year had this team at three or four SEC wins. You could argue they should already have that with some of the games they'd like get away, but there's still a chance to do that. And nobody's saying that three and 15, four and 14 in the league is success. You're going to throw a parade about that, whatever, but there's a chance to at least get where you thought you were going to be and also do it by finishing strong, taking some stuff into next year. Um, and it starts with these next three games against three teams that are definitely more beatable than some other ones on your schedule. And one of them, you already took the overtime on the road and you're going to get them at home. Yeah, and if you're looking ahead, I think last night gives you a little bit of a um, what could be a look at South Carolina when you look at Missouri. Um, Dennis Gates is someone that was actually uh, rumored when the coaching carousel was going around uh, for South Carolina. He ultimately ends up in Missouri, um, but he did a really good job this offseason. Um, they really are only returning Kobe Brown uh, as far as people that contributed last year. Um, but he did a good job in the transfer portal, pulling people from JUCO, um, and he's put together a team that you know is at the very least on the bubble of the tournament. Um, I think Lamont Paris is going to have to attack the portal hard, um, you know, turn over some stones, uh, continue to develop the freshmen that are going to be back, um, and then yeah, maybe next year we're looking at a little bit of a different narrative. That's just what's going to have to be, and it's not trying to take shortcuts or not talk about it or whatever it's there just needs more to be more talent on this roster that's kind of what it all boils back to um that's like i said that's a winnable game last night but a, a better team with more talent made more plays down the stretch and won it and that's happened a few times this year now from a coaching perspective i do think i've seen growth in this team and that's what you're you're looking for of course they could you know, turn around and spit in my face and play terrible. I don't want to say you need because where are they going anyway, but I kind of think you need at least one of these next three just to like feel better about things. No, I agree. I show that the, this two game stretch um, in which they've played pretty well is something that they can hold on to and sustain against inferior competition. Mm -hmm. Um, As far as baseball goes uh, this weekend, um, those of you that are in South Carolina, they're doing like a fan fest kind of kickoff. Uh, scr- scrimmage. Um, we don't actually know every all the details of that yet. I, I'm sure that'll come out. They're definitely um, going to scrimmage. They're going to have open scrimmage along with fan events Saturday at the ballpark. Um, so if you're around, yeah. Yeah, and then uh, next Friday, week, next, yeah, we have our first series. Uh, UMass Lowell is coming into town. Um, you know, should be a pretty cupcakey start. Uh, to the you season, would certainly but, hope so. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, get out there to, uh, founders park and get, um, get some baseball. And yeah, I've got, I got some preview content coming for y'all probably next week for baseball. It's kind of two women's basketball this week. We got LSU, we got UConn, but next week, once we're kind of counting down days, opening day, I'm going to have some baseball preview content for y'all. Um, and then it's into crossover season starting next Friday. How's, how's the weather looking down there? You think it's going to be nice out for uh opening day next weekend? 
I haven't looked at next Friday specifically. It's actually been pretty nice this week. Um, went for a walk today and it was in the sixties. That was nice. So, um, fingers crossed that'll stay for this weekend for those of you going to the fan fest on Saturday and then through next weekend when the games actually count. Definitely. So yeah, we'll have a, some season preview stuff for baseball coming up in the next couple of weeks. Uh, and then we'll start breaking down actual opponents. Um, other things to look at out for on GamecockScoop.com. Uh, obviously, we're going to continue to uh, cover the women's basketball march towards hopefully a repeat or their <laughs> attempted march towards a repeat. Um, we'll continue to cover men's basketball for those of you that are uh, into sadomasochism and want to want to come uh, watch those games with me. Honestly, it's it's fun, and like I said, you're you're seeing a future NBA star. Uh, you're seeing um, some growth, I think. So good time to to start watching that. And then um, we're doing some football preview stuff for sure. Uh, so I know that Perry McCarty has got a bunch of stuff in the queue, looking at the depth chart at each position. Um, I'll have recruiting stuff continue to come. I think we'll get some more 2024 news before the month is over. Um, and we'll just keep rolling along. So uh, go check us out at GamecockScoop.com. Great time to become a subscriber here in the off season. Um, if you're not, if you're feeling like you're not getting enough football content right now while it's the off season, um, it's a good place to go check out some off season storylines. Um, in the meantime, uh, we'll keep podcasting and we'll be back here in about a week. Uh, this has been the GamecockScoop.com podcast. We will see you.